All of those who, of us who were born in southern Alberta here in this Palliser Triangle and have lived here all our lives are really aware of the castle uh, situation, the castle crown situation. And uh, I'm really pleased to hear that you made that a, a, one of your main issues in, in your talk today. For an area that is so short of water to begin with, to cut down trees on, on the eastern slopes is absolutely unforgivable. Uh, it'll mean that our water comes down more quickly, causing floods, mm -hmm. and then we won't have any at all. And more erosion. And erosion and damage. In every way, it's, it's negative. My question to you is, with such a, a distinct and clear picture to all of us, do you think that there's any hope of, of preventing the, the clear-cutting of the Castle Crown area unless we change parties? Wow. That's a two-edged question. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, we have stopped the Conservatives before, even when they have had large majorities. Um, when we go over their heads and we speak directly to the people and we get a strong enough reaction. Now, I don't know that that's going to be the case with respect to the logging in the Castle Wilderness, but I do know that it has really caught the attention of Albertans, not just people in southern Alberta. And we've been hearing uh, uh, on, on quite a large scale from people through letters and emails uh, and, and so on. So there is a strong um, movement in the province on that. And uh, I'm hopeful that um, uh, if we can make it a, an important issue in the election, and particularly in uh, southern Alberta that it may have an impact. I think we look at the logging company doing it and the close ties that they have to Ted Morton, who was the uh, Minister of Sustainable Resources, um, now frighteningly is the Minister of, uh, of Energy. Um, and, and we begin to see how the Conservatives do business. Uh, you know, the, the friends and the financial supporters of, of individual candidates and of the party uh, get, get deals. I mean, the castle's the only wilderness area that actually isn't properly protected where this kind of activity is going on. And I think we have to look closely at the relationships between some of these companies um, and some of the politicians. Uh, now, we have an opportunity in the election uh, to change the government or at least to change the makeup of the assembly and to use this as an opportunity to send them a message on this issue. And I would strongly urge people to take advantage of that opportunity. Hi, Brian. Henning Mundle is my name. And first, I do want to give you kudos for such a clearly enunciated platform in relation to water. And it's not just clearly enunciated. It's so... so something that I 100% can stand behind and with your uh, party having that kind of a platform, I really wonder why you only have two seats in Parliament. Anyway, an election is coming. My question relates to one aspect where I was a little bit unclear what your intent was. Um, we're talking about the drought and... Uh, um, trading of water. Now, I'm a retired agricultural scientist and, and was at the research station in those years, a uh, couple of years, where 
For example, a potato farmer could buy the water rights for that year from a neighbor to continue growing his potatoes because they need a high level of moisture. The other farmer would grow a lower moisture crop like uh, wheat or, uh, or peas or something like that. So I'm wondering, do you have a problem with that? No, I don't think so. And I don't want to give the impression that we're proposing an extremely rigid system. Obviously, water has to be um, made available uh, in a flexible basis so that the best use can be made of the water. Um, uh, but uh, I don't believe that you need to have a formal water market that allows multinational corporations to come in and acquire uh, the licenses to, to Alberta Water in order to accomplish that. So I'm glad you raised that point because uh, I think that there are many small types of transfers between neighbours um, that will have to be accommodated and I'm going to uh, make sure that we incorporate that uh, in, in the structure that we're going to propose. So thank you. My name's Cheryl Bradley, and I appreciate your uh, presentation, Brian, and your knowledge of water issues in the province. And I agree with you that water is a public good and that we shouldn't give up control to private interests. Now, my question relates to irrigation districts. My question relates to irrigation districts and whether or not they're a private interest. As, as you know, in the Old Man Basin, uh, irrigation districts have 90% of the water allocation. Um, they've been using their allocation to expand, um, and those decisions to expand are through votes of farmers who, who hold irrigation acres. The public does not have a say in those decisions. And Recently, irrigation districts have applied to be able to use their water for purposes other than irrigation, maintaining that they're like a municipality. Mm -hmm. But my review of the legislation regarding irrigation districts is that they're not mm -hmm. like an elected government. And I'm concerned that the director is giving control of the future of water allocation in the province to irrigation districts who argue they're a public interest, but not really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just curious to know if um, I'm, I acknowledge the benefit that irrigation has been to our region, but I'm, I'm just concerned about the long-term implications yeah. of this direction for the future of water management. Okay. Thank you for the question. The question is whether irrigation districts are uh, a public body or a private body, and I think that they're perhaps something in between. I see them as, a, as akin to a cooperative of, of some sort. And whether they're uh, acting as a private body or, or in the public interest depends on what uh, authorities they have and what terms of reference they're given, and I think that's a matter for provincial legislation. Irrigation districts in Australia have become um, water brokers. They've expanded far beyond their original intent and they buy and sell water. Um, that's okay. I'm going to have to switch to decaf.
Thanks. Uh, so, you know, if you let them get away be, uh, and allow them to expand beyond their original intention, um, which is to provide water for, for uh, agriculture within a defined area, um, then I think you, they're going to be much more akin to a private uh, corporation uh, than, than a public body. So I think it's incumbent uh, on the government to ensure that their, um, that their activities are closely um, uh, controlled and, and aligned with their original objectives of providing water um, for their members uh, and, and that is specifically for, uh, for agriculture. But if they're allowed to buy up water licenses outside their jurisdiction and trade them and sell them, uh, then I think we're going down a path that, um, that we certainly don't support. Uh, my name is Frank Toth. He had to drop this for, for short kids like me, all right? But I, I've had a pretty big voice asking questions. Brian, welcome to Lethbridge. Thank you. The girls of the world here, here in Ladbridge, the curl. Okay, the curling. I, to curl. Yes. So, I, I saw I, some of it on TV. I, I'm complaining because we don't, we don't see enough of you, okay? But I'm glad you mentioned people named like the the best man in water research in the world is is Professor Schindler. Yes, he is. Who the client government tried to fire dozens of times for his outspoken thing, and we know that Slave Lake the biggest pristine lake in the world, Clearwater Lake, has been poisoned years ago. Fish are coming out with fins, what have you. We do a lot of researching on it. So, and also, also, I'm an ex-miner. Well, you know, who is the guy who used to say relative? Relative? Brother Klein. Mm -hmm. That sold us out. But anyway, uh, relative to the water thing, fracking that you spoke of so eloquently is also, I'm an ex-miner. I'm still wearing the scars of mining, all right? Fracking totally destroys the rock and shale. Mm -hmm. That's the number one item required for mining. They're destroying for $2.06 a gigagule today on the market, natural gas, destroying all the coal in all the coal shale areas of Canada and around the world will will total loss. When the oil and the gas is gone, we have one resource only. We got the wind. But coal, uh, you know, selling at $60 a ton, we're giving it away at 2.6 cents uh, per gigagill now. Uh, how can we stop, stop it forcefully? Because they're in the majority, and people, you, you put a crow in the parliament, they'll vote for them as long as they're conservative. How can we stop fracking? It is most important because mm -hmm. we, we, since eons, coal's been used for heating, yes. doing your mush, what have you. Yeah. How can we stop it? Well, um, thank you for that. I, I, I think that it's a good point that it destroys um, more, than, uh, uh, more than groundwater. Uh, it causes damage to other resources. I'm not so sure about the long-term future of coal um, uh, as, a, as a fuel, but uh, I, it, it brings to mind the fact that the, the uh, importance of what's under the ground, the uh, ge geological strata, um, impacts many more things than we currently realize, and water is the most obvious. Uh, but 
I was appalled to learn that there's absolutely no regulation of fracking in the province of Alberta because there are resources that are unknown and untapped uh, that are below the ground and and it belongs to the people of Alberta. It doesn't belong to the private companies and to allow them to just freely destroy the underground geological formations underneath our province without any uh, discussion, public uh, approval, uh, or any understanding of the impact is, is beyond me. And I think a future generation is going to look back at us and say, what were you thinking? Uh, I also wanted to mention, while I have the opportunity, that uh, we've, we've uh, obtained documents which show that uh, the oil industry involved in fracking and the provincial government are working together to prepare communications points on fracking. In other words, to develop a communications plan to convince the public that fracking is okay. And uh, this is typical of how the government operates with private business. They um, don't act as the steward of the public trust, but instead they work hand-in-glove with companies to persuade the public uh, to accept their vision or their view of how uh, the province's resources should be developed. And that's just wrong. That's not a government that's acting on behalf of us. It's a government that's acting on behalf of corporations, um, and I think we're going to uh, uh, we're going to have to tackle that basic political question at some point if we're going to change the direction of the province. Ryan, I'm glad you're talking about fracking, and you've already declared that you um, support Dr. Schindler and the um, the idea that independent science should be connected to studying it. I wonder. Uh, my question would be. Um, Last spring, we had a, a monitoring, a water monitoring panel um, put in place because of Dr. Schindler's work in the Royal mm -hmm. Society of Canada, mm -hmm. where they said that the Alberta environment, Alberta government, and the companies were not doing good water monitoring. Absolutely. So they recommended independent scientific study. And then we had a, a leadership race for the Conservatives. And now we're having a spring election just when Howard Tennant begins yet another uh, uh, water monitoring panel starting up, and they're going to ask, I thought they decided last year it was supposed to be an independent study. Now, this year, it's a restudy of the same questions, and can the industry and government do good enough monitoring, or should we have independent scientific study? They're back to the, the same thing I thought they decided, and they got a solid recommendation last year. So you've been talking about southern Alberta. Would you recommend that the water monitoring panel and their study put in as a number one priority along with the Athabasca uh, fracking in southern Alberta because our water is so important down here it's so scarce mm -hmm. and they don't care whether they ruin it or not so I think it should be a priority do you think it should be a priority that the water monitoring panel should look at southern Alberta as well as the Athabasca as a top priority so far it, it wasn't hardly mentioned mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. previous water monitoring okay. stuff I think we need uh, an appropriate, independent, and scientifically-based water monitoring system for all of the water courses in the province of Alberta. And we need to take into account uh, water um, that's um, 
that's not flowing as well. I mean, water that's that's just there waiting to be used in some other form, whether it's a lake or something. And we need to look at um, subsurface water. So I think we need a comprehensive approach. I think that you're you're correct about that. And I think we need to uh, we need to make the uh, control of this, um, the decisions around this, independent of cabinet, independent of of uh, political decisions. Uh, so I would support creating an independent body, um, which is um, dominated uh, by scientific and technical people as opposed to political appointees or people from industry. Uh, with your permission, Mr. Moderator, I'd like to make a comment, not directly, but maybe directly related to the water issue. Um, the comment was made earlier in this meeting that uh, the, the two other... Oh, uh, here we go again. <laughs> I, can, I can speak louder. The two other party leaders uh, graciously declined their invitation to, to speak. 30, 40 years ago, when this organization just got underway, the, Mr. Klein told through cabinet the ministers to advise their members of their department not to come to the Council of Public Affairs in this town called Lethbridge. The reason given was they asked the tough questions down there. They're too tough. So they did stay away in droves uh, as a result. Now, um, I want to relate that to the $1,000 a plate for not coming to the meeting as given to the members of... Uh, of the, of the party or who are members of the committee. Clearly this tradition of hiding government decisions gets, gets like the water decisions are made under buddy-buddy kind of relationship within the party. 41 years we have had of this. Surely the end is going to come and people who have to paint the bus over again a second time, <laughs> never mind, that the end is coming. What do you think about the distribution of water resources in this province to the party faithful? Thanks very much for the question, Gordon. And, you know, I am very careful. When I stand on uh, street corners yelling, the end is nigh, I get the wrong kind of people in the party. Uh, so... Uh, I was in grade 11 when the Conservatives were first elected. So, you you know, you can, you can yeah, see all the groans saying how old I am. I know. But uh, I, I think the question, the question is a valid one. The decisions that the government makes, its habit of, of policymaking is very much uh, with special interests and behind closed doors. And I mentioned, for example, how they're colluding with the industry in terms of creating uh, um, uh, propaganda points uh, in order to sell fracking to the public and to, and to, to chart a course uh, to avoid the political minefields that might be there in terms of, of um, uh, getting fracking to become more uh, available and widespread to the industry. So uh, I think that's a very good point. And, and uh, we find, as an opposition party, um, that most of the discussion around what the government is actually doing doesn't come from their policy announcements or in the legislature, but because people 
apply under freedom of information. So you have to pull it out of them. You have to find little pieces, and we're constantly trying to put together um, a, a jigsaw puzzle to get a picture of what the government is doing. And I'll give you an, an example. Um, the whole question of electricity uh, transmission in this province. Why is it that this government wants to go to uh, a, a transmission system, a new transmission investment that will cost $17.5 billion? The current value of all of the transmission infrastructure in the province today is $1.5 billion. So if the province increases 20% in population over the next uh, 10 or 20 years, then you would expect a 10 or 20% uh, increase in investment, uh, plus some more because you've got to replace a lot of it that it's old. So, you know, you might have a couple of billion dollars that might be expected, but instead it's over $17 billion. Why is that? Well, they meet behind closed doors with the industry, and they refuse to tell us that, in fact, the purpose of this is to allow power companies to buy and sell electricity, including uh, long-term plans to build lines into through Montana, uh, into the United States. Why are they bringing a major north-south DC line to Brooks? Well, where is it going to go from Brooks? I don't think that southern Alberta needs all the power that that's going to carry. So this is just, I, I know it's a little off the topic of water, but it's an example, uh, and we find this over and over again, that if you want to know what the government is really up to, you have to become a detective. And that's not right in a democratic society. That's not how it should be. In our society, we should know what the government's doing. They should make it perfectly clear to us so that we can have the kind of discussion that we are having today. Can you, do you have the last question? Ryan, my name is Knut Peterson. Uh, I'm going to ask a question that is probably nobody else wants to answer, but I think you will. Uh, royalty rates in Alberta is, uh, we've lost out, there's a study by the Parkland Institute uh, is uh, just come out, and we actually have a speaker coming in a few weeks mm -hmm. about that, right in the election time. Um, about $200 billion we've lost out on just because uh, Klein didn't follow uh, law heats, not huge royalty rate, but about 30 to 40 percent. Mm -hmm. We're now getting about 10 percent on our oil and gas. Um, can you explain uh, where the new, new Democrats would want to go with that? I know you can't change it overnight, but uh, yep. certainly uh, we're giving it away to a large degree. I absolutely agree with that, and we're, I believe we're the only party that has been really clear all along that we need to get a greater value for the resources that we all own. As Peter, you mentioned Peter Lougheed, as he said, we need to start thinking like owners because we are the owners of these resources. It's not the oil companies. And uh, we're getting a, a fraction of the value that we should. We have some of the lowest royalties in the entire world. And increasingly with the technology and the price of petroleum internationally, um, our oil sands are a very, very accessible, valuable uh, resource. It's close to the American market. It's a very strategic resource, um, and the technology is now there. So uh, these companies are making out uh, like bandits, and we are uh, betraying 
our uh, children and grandchildren because these resources, the value of these resources needs to be preserved for them. And uh, I'll just tell a story. I, t I tell this story a lot, and I know Shannon heard it last night, and others may have heard it, but uh, before the last election, I decided we needed to look at uh, other examples of royalties. And uh, so um, I couldn't afford to go to Venezuela, uh, so I went to Alaska. Uh, and I flew up to Juneau, and I met with the legislators there because they'd just gone through a process of, of evaluating their royalties, and they implemented a substantial increase in the royalties in Alaska. Of course, the oil companies uh, cried, uh, cried foul and threatened to leave the state and sh shut down the economy and so on, and, and it never happened. Um, but they do have substantially higher... Uh, royalties. In fact, Alaska, uh, at a price per barrel of, of $100, collects 60% more in royalties than Alberta does on a, on a single bar barrel of oil. And I, when I was up there, I met the governor at the time who was overseeing the process of raising royalties, and her name was Sarah Palin. And so I had a nice meeting with her, and her staff briefed me on what they'd done. So here's my question for the Alberta government. If a gun-toting, Bible-thumping, right-wing Republican can raise royalties on oil in, in her state, what the heck is wrong with our crew? <laughs> okay, we'll do it one more question, but make it real quick, please. Um, you're mentioning, uh, Brian, uh, about the unfair distribution of, of wealth, of, of the wealth of this province. Um, the, most of it is going to these very uh, huge uh, multinational oil companies. And as they become more, more wealthy by billions and billions of dollars, they become much more effective in their propaganda that they, and, and the brainwashing they do of the public. Uh, in this room, we probably have a majority of people here who think for themselves and they take that with a grain of salt. The public at large is really duped into believing that everything's okay. What do you see as an effective way of reversing this trend of having our brains, our brainwashing going on by these multinational corporations? Well, I think uh, strong and effective oppositions is one way to do it. Elections is another way to do it. And groups like this is a, is a wonderful way of doing this. I've appreciated the, the few times that I've been here, the conversation and the discussion that goes on here, and I wish we could duplicate the uh, SACPA in, in other parts of the province. I think we would all, the province as a whole, um, would, uh, would benefit from that. So there's no silver bullet ban. You know, we just keep toiling away and uh, talking to people one at a time in elections, in the media, and at meetings like this. I wish I, you know, if I knew the, really knew the answer to that question, I'd probably be the premier. But I'd still come. I'd still come. On behalf of SACPA, Brian, thank you very much for taking your time out of the busy schedule and, and visiting us here today. I know everyone in this room is quite grateful to hear from you, yeah. uh, and we appreciate it. And I'd like to thank everyone else as well for coming, and do remember to come uh, next week and check out Dr. Paul Basie's talk on um, why is homosexuality or why does not homosexuality go extinct, uh, evolutionary insights from Samoa. Thank you very much. Thank you.